coming home. Jess and I, as we were kind of driving um, to church this morning, we're just uh, talking about how, how great it is uh, to be back here. So we are just very, very stoked to be back here. Um, as I said, yeah, it was seven years that I was part of the place um, and I owe uh, so much uh, to so many people here, um, so many people's patience uh, with me over those years, um, so many people's kindness, their prayers, uh, just just the love of so many people. Um, and it's really nice to know that the reconciliation process has begun after I stole Jess away um, <laughs> this time last year. Uh, something that I'm not very sorry for uh, because she is terrific. Um, but uh, yeah, I do want to extend a massive thanks uh, to, to Matt and to Mike uh, and to, to lots of other people uh, because, yeah, I was invested in very strongly over, over a good number of years. Uh, and so much of what I get to do now is because of the people here uh, and how much you guys invested in me. Um, and so much of the way that I do things uh, has been influenced by, by Mike and by Matt, um, which you might notice today as I've stolen the first illustration straight from Mike. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll say that at the, the forefront. Um, <clears throat> and you might notice a few of the phrases are stolen from Matt later on as well. Um, but I, I do really want to just... just say how stoked we are to, to be here today. Um, look, as I get into to what I've actually prepared uh, for today, uh, I just want to start with, with a question, just, just one question, uh, to kind of get our mind uh, set as we, as we start to talk about the topic today. And the, the question is, what are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your hope in? Mike and Randy Alcorn have, have told this story in the past. Uh, in 1952, a young lady by the name of, of Florence Chadwick um, decided to swim, decided to be the first woman, sorry, to swim from a, a little island called Catalina Island in the Pacific Ocean uh, to mainland California, a swim of 35 kilometers. Florence had, had been the first woman already to swim the English Channel both ways and decided this would be her next challenge. On the morning that she set out, uh, it was very cold and extremely foggy. Uh, in fact, at points during the swim, it was so foggy, foggy that uh, Florence could not see the boats that were accompanying her uh, on her way. In the, the later stages of the swim, uh, as fatigue set in, she actually began to beg to be taken out of the water. But her mother, who was in the, the boat with her, um, kept encouraging her to keep on going. She was, she was so close she could nearly make it. Finally, after 15 hours, both, both physically and emotionally exhausted, Florence threw in the towel and she stopped swimming. It wasn't until she was pulled out of the boat that she realised that she could see the shore and it was less than half a mile away. She had swum 34 and a half of the 35-kilometer swim. At the, uh, the press conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. So that's my hope for today. That for a few moments, we would, we would lift our eyes off the immediate, off of the, the seemingly important issues of our lives, off of the, the busyness and the fog, 
and instead set our eyes on the shore, on our ultimate hope and destination, to look towards eternity. I think this is something that, that at least I don't do quite enough. And contrary to the, the old fear that this will make us lazy or, or disengaged from the world around us, the Bible actually suggests that this will, will energize us, it will make us more effective in the task that God has given us to do. If we can just keep our eyes fixed on the shore, we can run the race set out before us with hope and endurance. So today, uh, as we do this, we're going to be spending our time in 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible or a phone Bible there, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, it'll also come up on the screen uh, beside me. Um, but as we do, I, I really hope that we're going to see uh, three things. Three things in this passage. Um, it's nice and light, so... No, that's a joke, it's not very light. Um, we will see the inevitability of suffering, the fruit of Christian suffering, and a hope and a joy that are untouched by suffering. So let's, uh, let's have a geese at the first one, the inevitability of suffering. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, says this, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious then gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Friends, there, there are some great promises uh, in that passage today. That uh, the sinner saved by Christ has a hope in an inheritance, in, in blessings that, that cannot be stolen, that, that will not fade or diminish in value. That the Christian is, is being guarded by the God of all power so that we may enjoy this blessing for eternity. These, these blessings and these joys that are beyond anything that we've experienced in this life. That is our eternal, eternal inheritance. And it's, it's already waiting for us. This is the, the promise that we're going to hold on to and we're going to come back to at the end of the passage today. Because it's the, the promise that, that Peter calls us uh, to, to rejoice in. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In amongst uh, Peter's uh, beautiful promise of future blessing, we find this, this little statement. And this little statement actually sets up one of his, his major points throughout uh, his letter. He is trying in his letter to encourage his readers 
uh, to, to hold fast to their faith. To, to look to hope in, the turn, in eternity in the midst of the coming suffering. Because suffering in this life is coming. It's a little bit obscure in, in this text here, but in chapter 4 he says it very forthright. He says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He says, do not be surprised when. Not if, when. I think we actually, we need to hear this this message afresh today. Um, Do not be surprised when this happens to you. Because, Because suffering and pain uh, and hurt and struggles, they're going to be part of this life. They're, they're unavoidable for, for all people everywhere. But let's not miss who this letter is written to. It's not written to all people everywhere. It is specific for the Christian. I think we have a, a little bit of a problem talking about pain and suffering in the Western church uh, because I think we look around at our situation in Australia and we, we rightly assess uh, we've got it pretty good. Many of us have, have more than what we need. We've been blessed that more than what we care to acknowledge. <clears throat> but Peter's warning uh, for us, uh, here, sorry, in this, in this passage, is as much for us as it is for, for those who originally read it. I think for us to, to ignore this, this message, to ignore it, um, in this cultural moment, when, when Christian beliefs are more and more being regarded as dangerous, bigoted, and downright unloving, for, for us to ignore this warning would absolutely be to our detriment. And far from today being a, a chance to throw a pity party uh, or for, to, for us to say, woe is me, um, let's actually acknowledge the, the truth that Peter is presenting here. That that to follow Christ in this life is to expect a unique and specific set of trials and sufferings. Quite contrary to the the tele-evangelist who who promises uh, that to follow Christ you'll be healthy, wealthy and wise, the gospel of Christ is that to follow Jesus is to expect more difficulties in this life and not less. Let's hear what Jesus has to say about this in John uh, 15 when he says... If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. Later in verse 20, he says, A servant is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you also. First off, Jesus, as the founder of a religion, has got to be the worst salesman of all time. Second off, let's let's hear his warning. If we want to follow him, expect persecution, expect difficulties. And it's, it's not only from the world. At, at the end of this book, Peter, he actually tells us who is behind uh, the suffering of his readers. And in chapter 5, verse 8, he says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Friends, we, we have an adversary. 
And he's going to do everything he can to get us to take our, our focus and our eyes off of our hope. And in suffering, he wants to, to cloud our vision. He wants us to, to doubt. And he wants us to wonder whether God has abandoned us. Tim Keller, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, which is a book that I've lent on very, very heavily for this sermon, um, I'll, I'll say at the outset. But Keller, he offers some categories which might help us ground uh, the idea of, of suffering. And he gives us these uh, four categories. He says there's, there's suffering caused by our own failures, suffering of betrayal, uh, the suffering of loss, uh, and the suffering of mystery. Uh, an unexplained or senseless suffering. And I think uh, we can relate to, to one or, or more of these things. For the first one, I think uh, we can all think of things that we have done or, or things that we have said that we truly, deeply regret. The, the times that we have been confronted with our own sinfulness. And I'm not just talking about the, the, little, the little things, but the times that we have said or done something that have even shocked ourselves that we have been so disappointed or even suffered because of it. Then there's the, the suffering of betrayal. Maybe there's been a, a breakdown of, of friendship, of relationship, someone you, you loved, someone that you should have been able to trust until all of a sudden you couldn't. Then there's the suffering of loss. The loss of, of a job loss of friendship, loss of financial security, the loss of, of feelings of safety, the loss of a loved one. And finally, there's the, the senseless suffering. Tragedy, shootings, natural disasters, the, the atrocities of war, children dying from disease and starvation. We experience and feel each of these things at some point or another. And for some people, it seems to be more often and more intense than for others. And when these things happen, there's, there's something within us that cries out, it shouldn't be like this. There, there shouldn't be this kind of suffering. We, we know deep inside that something is amiss. And we ask ourselves, is, if God is all good, and if he is all powerful, then how could he let this happen? Good question. It's a good question. And something that, that I think we'll have to keep struggling with. But it's one that I think our faith actually gives good answers to. And when the Reverend Maloney comes back, he will answer those questions. <laughs> but, but actually, in short, our, I think our faith affirms that feeling. Affirms the, the, the feeling that the world shouldn't be like this. The Bible presents that the world was created good, really good, truly good. Everything worked how it was supposed to. That is, until through the actions of man, sin entered the world and it infected everything. All of a sudden, God's perfect creation and, and all of humankind were subjected to the destructive power of sin. The message of the Bible affirms what we already know to be true. That things are not how they are meant to be. Pain and suffering are not how things are meant 
to be. Kids are not meant to die from diseases. Relationships are, are not meant to break down. Natural disasters are not how things are meant to be. And that the pain and the hurt and the anger that we experience because of these things is only a fraction of what God has experienced. Only a fraction of the, the anger that God holds towards the sin that has done that, this to his creation. The very sin that is in us. And so the rest of the Bible tells the story of the unfolding uh, plan of God to redeem his people. So that they might be saved when he comes back to destroy that sin. This is the, the story of the Bible. This is the affirmation that we all have been waiting for. But here in Peter, God gives us a little bit more. And in point two, uh, we will see that there is actually a fruit to Christian suffering. Verse uh, six, Peter says this. In this hope, you now rejoice, though now for a little while. Which, by the way, is the least specific time frame in the world. <laughs> Though now for a little while. Um, in fact, as I was doing some reading, some scholars think that that was the time between when Jesus ascended and when he will come back, which that little while has lasted at least 2,000 years. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Um, anyway, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though now, if necessary. I think if necessary might be two of the least popular words in the Bible. If you're in the midst of some pretty hard stuff, or if you look back at some of the, the hardest points in your life, you might be like, God, why, why was that necessary? How could, how could that have been necessary? And while, while Peter doesn't give us the full picture, or an overly simplistic answer, he, he does give us some insight. And the insight that he gives is so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to be more precious than refined gold. My question is, why, why is gold passed through a fire? Um, I'm not a goldsmith, and so Google had to help me with this. But, but when gold is, is passed through a fire, um, the, the little impurities in the gold are burnt away. In the process, uh, nothing is added to the gold, but as the, the sediment and rubbish uh, are burnt away, the value of the gold is increased as it is stripped down to its, its purest form. Likewise, Peter is saying that there's something that only happens in the fiery trials that, that refines and improves our faith. And I believe that this is because it, it shows us uh, the inadequacy of all other objects of hope. During our deep personal struggle, the, the things of this world, the, the comfort uh, the pride, money, power, success, these things which, which can so easily become our objects of hope, 
they are, they are shown to be completely inadequate. As we reflect on our deepest regrets, as we, we grieve the loss of a loved one, as we battle with chronic illness, as, as loved ones battle with cancer, as we, as we sit at the end of our life, these things of the world will ultimately prove themselves to be unworthy of our hope. Money, comfort, success will ultimately be unworthy of our hope. But that does not mean we do not have hope. Because just as fire refines gold, so our hope in eternity is refined as we go through suffering. Keller again says this, what if, and this is pretty much what Larissa prayed before, um, so she stole my thunder, what if in the future we came to see that Jesus could not have displayed such glory and love any other way except through his own suffering? And that we would not be able to experience such transcendent glory, joy and love any other way except going through a world of suffering. And why could it not be that our future glory will actually so swallow the evil of the past that in some unimaginable way, even the memory of evil will not darken our hearts, but only make us happier? Why could that not be so? leads us uh, quite, quite nicely into what, what Peter's doing um, in his letter. And indeed, it, it leads us into our, our final point, which is a hope and a joy that are untouched by all suffering. See, what, what Peter does uh, in this passage is he holds two things together that we, we struggle to simultaneously hold together. Uh, you know when you have a magnet and the two positive charges are together and they're repelling each other and you're forcing it together. I don't know whether that was just me as a kid trying to do that. Um, and then all of a sudden it flicks around and it clicks in. Peter's he, he's able to do that thing where it clicks in. He at once holds joy and, and hope in one hand and, and pain and suffering in the other and brings them together in a way that, that does not downplay the pain and the suffering. But, but does not for a moment diminish the, the bigness of the joy and the hope that we have. He says he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And, and in this hope you rejoice, though now you have been grieved. And Peter, he's not the only one who does this. Um, the Apostle Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, he says this, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is the, the Apostle Paul. This is the, the Terminator of the early church. Um, in kind of both ways. I haven't watched the Terminator for a while, but he was bad and then he was good, I think. Um, Paul did that. Um, anyway, um, but he says, he says we were so utterly burdened that we despaired of life itself. This is, this is raw and real and deeply felt. And he refuses to downplay it. But then three chapters later, in the same letter, he goes on to refer to the suffering of this life as a light 
and momentary affliction. A light and momentary affliction. He, he holds these two things together, just as Peter does. Because he, like Peter, knew in whom he hoped. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, in one of the, the most human moments that we see, is pleading with the Father. And we read, being in agony. He prayed all the more earnestly. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is the one that we, we worship as the Son of God. In intense sorrow and anguish. And yet in Hebrews 12 we read it was for the joy that was set before him. That he endured the cross. Here at the cross we see these two things come together. This, this deep anguish of the Son of God and the joy for what was on the other side. And this is how Paul and Peter can call us to endure. Because they, they knew that, that on the cross, Jesus endured the most intense spiritual and relational suffering. On the cross, Jesus the Son was, was separated from God the Father. The, the Father's love was brutally ripped away from him. On the, the cross as Jesus died, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that is exactly what had happened. On the cross, Christ was forsaken by the author and sustainer of life. So that you and I might not have to be. The, the physical suffering would have been but a pinprick compared to the, the crushing agony of his soul as he was torn away from the heart of the Father. As he instead took his wrath. This is what Christ suffered so that you and I might never have to. We, we do not worship a God who stands back from our suffering. We worship a Savior who would enter into that kind of suffering on our behalf. This is the last one. Keller said this. On the cross, Jesus experienced cosmic rejection and pain that far exceeds anything we will face. God has wounds. In our experiences of suffering, anger, rage and agony, God is right there with us, holding us in the injustice, weeping with us. My question is, do we believe that? Would we, would we believe that? That God is not standing back from us as we, as we suffer with his arms folded. But he's actually in there with us. Holding us. Weeping with us. In his um, book, Gentle and Lowly, uh, Dane Ortland talks about the heart of Christ for, for sinners and sufferers. And he writes this. Cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world around him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move towards that sin and the suffering and not away from it. Contrary to what we might expect to be the case, therefore the, the deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper Christ's solidarity with us. As we go down into pain and anguish, we descend ever deeper into Christ's very heart. 
not away from them. Look to Christ. He deals gently with you. It's the only way he knows how to be. Friends, our, our God is not distant. He's, he's not dispassionate in our suffering. He has stepped in. And he continues to step in with us. In our disappointment, in our despair, in the moments of our deepest hurt, we are not separated from the love of Christ, but we are being beckoned ever deeper into it. But our hope does not end there. Because our Saviour, he did not stay dead. Peter says it in his, in his letter again and again and again and again, that there is a hope beyond this world. He has caused us, this is what he says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, that is, that is our hope. A hope beyond death. A hope of glory that is beyond all comparison. Uh, back in 2021, um, so not that, that long ago, I decided that I would run a half marathon. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a lover of long-distance running uh, by any means. In fact, I think because I was in this headspace, I had a nightmare last night that I was running a half marathon again, and it was awful. Um, my socks came down into my shoes after 200 meters, so I gave up and I just sat down. Um, anyway, ter- terrifying. Um, anyway, so I, I thought back then that it would be a really good challenge for, for me to decide to, to run the half marathon. Um, so I went for it. I, I trained for a few months, uh, and then the week before the event was supposed to happen, um, there was a COVID outbreak at the sunny coast. Uh, and so they cancelled the event. Uh, at that point, I was nursing a bit of a hip injury uh, because, again, running is the worst. Um, and, and I knew that I really couldn't, I couldn't sustain that level of fitness for the next month, and I really didn't want to anyway. Um, so I decided instead on the day that the event was supposed to happen that I was going to run it anyway, uh, just by myself around Brizzy. Uh, so on the Saturday morning, uh, I set out. I'd, I'd planned a route around Brisbane uh, that was around 21.5 kilometres. And I'd requested that Jess, um, my lovely wife, and Jesse David uh, would be at the finish line at approximately my finish time uh, with four Macca's hash browns uh, and two Powerades. And so uh, at 7am that morning, I I set out on on the run. And there was times during the run where I absolutely hated it. Uh, there There was hills and it was hard um, and I was not enjoying myself. Um, there, were, there were other times during the run where I got a second wind. And I was like, man, I, I feel pretty good. I'm, I'm cruising here. Uh, this is not so bad. But the, the only thing that got me through the run, both in the, the really the times when I was struggling and the, the times where I was less struggling, was knowing that at the end of the run, there were hash browns. There was Powerade. There was two great people and a place to rest my legs and the knowledge that I would never have to run again. (laughs) The the only reason that I I kept running with any purpose 
was because I knew that there was something after the run. Friends, that the same is, is true for us. There is a place at the end of this world of striving and pain and suffering, a place of rest and inexpressible joy, and we can have the utmost confidence because Jesus has kicked a hole at the other side of death and he has called us to follow him through it. This is our hope. This is the, the joy that was set before him as he endured the cross. This is the whole reason he came, so that we might be made whole, so that we might enjoy and be enjoyed by our creator and the, the lover of our souls, so that we might stand with our saviour and he might say, oh my beloved, welcome home. To a, to a place where, where pain and suffering have been destroyed. To a place where, where endurance and perseverance are only found in the, the tales of old. Where, where faith and hope are no longer needed. Welcome home. Where I will lavish my blessings upon you forevermore. That's our hope. So keep running. Keep, keep pushing. It is always too early to throw in the towel. Setting our, our hope on eternity will not make us lazy or less effective. It will give us a, a joy and a hope to persevere. To do what God has called us to do in living for him. So as I, as I wrap up, I just want to ask that question again. What are you putting your hope in? Because there's a, there's a, coming, there's coming a day for each of us where, where this life will cease. And if the things that you are hoping for are in this world, on that day, is that going to be good enough? There's a time to consider putting your hope in something more. If Christ, if Christ is your hope, but you have found yourself all consumed by the fog of life, unable to, to keep your, your eyes fixed on the shore. Maybe for you, you, you just need to own one of God's promises. You need to know it and you need to own, own it for yourself. Chuck it on, on a little card, stick it on your dashboard, stick it on your bathroom mirror, put it next to your bed so that you can read it every night. Commit it to memory. Own one of God's promises for you so that when the race gets tough, when, when Satan's trying to do everything he can to discourage you, you can get through. Maybe for you, um, it needs to be what Peter says at the end of his letter. This passage has been um, a treasure for me. This has been the one that's been on my card for many years. In chapter 5, verse 10, Peter says this, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I just want to thank you again for, for this morning. Um, I thank you for, for your people, uh, Lord, that 
that we could come and, and be together and love one another in this place. Um, and God, I just want to pray uh, for us right now that, that you would help us to lift our eyes off the immediate. Lord, that, that in the discouragement, in, in, in the suffering, in the hard times, Lord, you would give us the ability to, to glimpse the shore. Lord, to, to hold fast to our hope. God, that, that we would be yours. That forever, Lord, you would lavish your blessing upon us, us broken sinners, Lord. That you have chosen us, Lord, and, and you are at work. Father, help us to hold firm to this hope. God, we thank you so much for your love, for your grace. Um, and Father, we are looking forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen.